listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 431. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at Apple TV Plus's series foundation, loosely based on the classic Isaac Asimov novel and the operative web Exceptionally loosely. <laughs> yeah, you know, the first episode, you, you, you kind of recognized the novel, but by the time we got to episode two, all bets are off. And and as you and I have said, it, it's pointless to get up in arms that it's deviating from the novel because it's not even. I, I mean, it's they're not even trying remotely. Right? Yeah, they're not. Right. Yeah, they're not even pretending to try. Right. Though there was a direct quote from the novel was was in this week's episode, so I was waiting for it. I knew it was going to pop up eventually. Okay, well, bring it up at the appropriate time because I'm uh, not sure which one you're talking about, although okay. there were several, several good quotes in this one. But, you, you know, you, you read stuff on the Internet, and, and I just – I mean, I get people that are up in arms, but on the other hand, I don't. And, and I saw this uh, uh, Twitter post that has to do with the upcoming series Sandman, which is basically where the character of Lucifer came from. And this goes back, and and apparently they're casting a female in the traditionally male lead. And you know somebody made a comment about it, and Neil Gaiman came on, and it's like, dude, you know, if I'm not bothered by it, yeah. <laughs> and I created it, right. you shouldn't be. So exactly, you and know, you really anyway. probably shouldn't be anyway, right? Because a, it's TV. And B, it's a fictional TV. And C, just go take a walk or something. Get a dog for crying out loud. Yeah. So, all right. Well, listen, we got a lot to talk about. We're on a short week. We're we're recording on Wednesday this week. So uh, we're going to keep our what we're watching a little briefer than usual. And, And I'm taking a page from fred's viewing approach you know and we've seen fred's list that he's posted from time to time about all the shows he's watching and and you know some he watches once a week some he watches once a month and i'm halfway through my lucifer rewatch i'm in season three um still sticking with nbc's time travel series la brea it's just compelling enough to bring me back the next week and we'll see how much longer that goes on they've got some bits and pieces that i'm intrigued about uh i'm also working my way slowly through squid game and i don't know if you started that yet or not not yet no i will say i don't understand what all the buzz is and i'll leave it at that Uh, i'm three episodes in and i've never watched more than one episode in a day even though i've had plenty of opportunity i watched one i'm like yeah i think i'll watch lucifer and it's more than just adhering to you know fred's uh format i also started my first ever battlestar galactica rewatch nice and i'm halfway through season one now and it's something that i've tried a couple of times and i have rewatched the miniseries about probably three or four times at this point so i i watched it again and now i'm into season one and loving it and and again since you know what happens you can pick up all the little details along the way but uh anyway fred i'm with you bud (laughs) all right what about you 
Um, just I I finished up What If finally on um, on, on Disney Plus, and uh, you know it was okay. I, I I loved the What If comics when when I was a kid and everything. I thought the kind of the altered reality type things were really cool. Um, these uh, you know they're hit and miss. Some were were really good. Some were you know not so much. Uh, I think probably the best one might have been with. Um, T'Challa as being Star Lord was pretty good, but uh, the the final episode actually, while all all the episodes over the season were standalones, the the final episode kind of tied everything together in a big thing, so it was kind of cool. The other thing I'm checking out is Star Wars Visions, which uh, my son uh, told me. Well, I would you know, I'd get around to it anyway because it's a Star Wars thing on Disney Plus, you know. But uh, it's you know, like so far, I've like watched the first three, I think, and they're all like kind of anime taking place in the Star Wars universe, but you know, not tied into really any of the main characters or anything like that. And uh, you know, so far, it's pretty good. You know, I, 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 I am not super into anime, so a lot of times when they have like extended action sequences and stuff like that, I'm like, oh, um, you know, like, uh, but I know, like. Yeah, especially the young young people are super into this kind of stuff, and and they love that kind of stuff. My son is is in the anime and loves. So I, you know, I'm not going to try to be too generational and uh, you know condemn it because it's 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 good. I mean, I do appreciate the animation, and everything. Uh, just sometimes I think the storytelling is not as strong so far, though. But it's pretty cool. cool. Now, is Akira considered anime? I don't know if you've ever seen Akira. Uh, I haven't. <laughs> oh man! Oh, dude, you got to check that out. Ask your son if he's seen it, and then if he has seen it, he tells you about it. Then I'll I'll mention to you that I actually showed it in class many many years ago, and I'm like, oh my god, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> so I'll I'll just leave it at that. But things uh, we get away back then that uh, oh my so god much anymore. You know? Oh. So, all right, well, let's talk some foundation episode four of season one barbarians at the gate directed by Alex Graves, who directed episode three written by Lauren Bellow. And this is her first and only writing credit aired October 8th, 2021. And thinking about that, you know, this isn't a great episode and, and it's starting to, I, I don't want to say i'm starting to get worried about this show because i'm certainly enjoying it and and i think the acting is top notch i think the dialogue has been consistently good i I think the opportunity for a lot of these shows to insert some cringeworthy dialogue is 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 very easy to happen it's just that more needs to happen i guess at least from my perspective no i i couldn't agree more uh for sure uh, at the end of the episode, you're like, okay, what happened? Um, pretty much nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, Which, I, again, I, like, okay, like, if you, uh, your criticism might be, well, in the book is almost completely devoid of action. It's just people talking. I'm like, I would, to that, I would say yes, but this ain't the book, right? Right. So if you're going to deviate from the book, which is perfectly okay, then you've got to meet, I think, certain viewer expectations. Yeah. And, you know, as soon as that phrase, that, that statement came out of my mouth, I, I understand that you don't want to necessarily tell the artist what he or she should do. But on the other hand, you 
you kind of do. I mean, if you want me to come back. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, of course, the, you know, I mean, I'm sure season one is already in the can. Everything, so it's not like it's going to get canceled mid season or something like that. But the likelihood of season two, I don't know. Are they even planning on a season two? I don't know. You know, I mean, there's a lot going for it. Obviously, the acting's really good. The production values are excellent. Uh, the graphics are spectacular. But it's just like there's just something. And I think you know, I, I, when I look back, I think, well, the story was advanced like not at all in this episode. You know, just like it was very incremental, tiny, tiny step. Which again, if to the people who might throw the book out at us, I might say the book has huge leaps in action, right? Like it goes through big ju- jumps in time. It doesn't keep you in any one time for any length of time. And for us to be sitting here mired in still, especially the Empire stuff, it's like, who gives a shit, honestly? You know, <laughs> like like that. that is... It was moderately interesting last episode, and it is like not at all now. Pretty much, I think. Of course, yeah. I'm, I mean, well, go ahead. No, I was just saying. I mean, that I that as being my opinion, right? Like, uh, obviously, if someone did like it, that that's great. But just the 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 Empire stuff just is killing me. Yeah, I mean, we've got the crisis on Trantor and the crisis on Terminus as our two storylines, and. The, the crisis on Trantor, from my perspective, revolves around the Empire. And, and, and Dawn, we see, is clearly out of sync with the others. And we're so used to them all raising the goblet at exactly the same time and drinking at exactly the same time. And we see noticeably Dawn is out of sync with the others, which then leads us to grab onto that idea that the genetic dynasty is weakening. And as brother day says, we've become complacent. So, you know, is this the next stage in, you know, the, the dynasty crumbling, the empire crumbling one would think, but as you said, in a 10 episode season, is that enough that we see, oh, they're out of sync. That must be the next step. And, and that, you know, they, there seems to be you know, a disharmony among the three when, when they've been in perfect sync all along. So does that move it ahead enough? Not really, for, yeah. I think, for our taste anyway. No, yeah. I mean, like, little things happen, right? Like, day is going to go I get to Terminus. Is it going to Terminus? I'm not sure. You know, and then dusk is like going somewhere now and everything so it's like there's stuff kind of happening but i just find myself being extremely unable to give two craps about what at all is going on and you know kind of care just a smidgen more about what's going on at terminus you know which i mean at least in salver hardy we got a, a pretty pretty dynamic character in in this show but again, like everything is just going at such a glacial pace there. Um, you know, at the at the end of this one, you know, Salvor is just barely beyond where she was at the end of the last episode. 
Yeah. Now, I think Brother Day is going to the funeral of the Proxima right. that has died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 of course, the, the interesting thing there is that Dusk was planning on going, but Day and, – and, again, I guess in one of the more significant scenes in that storyline, he accuses Dusk of failing to heed Harry Seldon's warnings and, and that when he starts – really railing against him for nuking the two planets and ultimately causing the destruction of of the bridge to think that the the brothers aren't evolving seems ludicrous at this point because clearly they are you know clearly he has learned from his older brother's mistakes and i think it's fair to call them mistakes so to see him taking that stance, and, and certainly we, we always got the idea that the, the brother Day was more or less in charge, that, that's certainly driven home in this episode. Yeah, right. They say, you know, when I was sitting the middle throne or whatever, and it's just yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I also like how they pair it with Salvor accusing Lewis of failing to heed her warnings about being prepared and that, you know, Lewis's attitudes, wow, you know, we don't have to worry. We don't have anything anybody wants. And she's like, well, let me at least do. And he's like, no. And obviously that uh, comes back to haunt them. But you, you mentioned Salver Harden as I think the most interesting character at this point. And she is fascinating. And there's this mystery now surrounding her. And aside from the fact that she's such a badass. And, mm-hmm. and that that you know she's got certain intellectual abilities that others don't have to have. What are these visions now that she's experiencing? As, as we see, she finds herself inside an imperial library that she assumes you know, belongs to Harry Seldon. I'm not sure how she knows that. I mean, maybe yeah, that's she something. totally like knew that, and I was wondering that too. I'm like, how does she know where she was? You know, you're just in a so, weird library you've never been before. Like, how do you make that jump? That's uh, right. Harry Seldon's. Now, granted, since the foundation's purpose is to accumulate the world's knowledge, maybe they have that in their, you know, records, and and she's accessed that before. But but still, it almost seems that's not the case, and that she just intuitively knows. You know, what what that's all about um so so why don't we go ahead and talk about the uh the crisis on terminus a bit since we're you know talking about harden at this point and, and this whole thing about the anacreons claiming they're scrappers and sal- salvagers and, and obviously she's not having any of it and uh, dude how perfect is her her uh plan to take back control just drive near the vault. My yeah. passenger will pass out. I'll grab yeah. her gun. And all Easy peasy. Yep. yep. And, and she offered it, to let the other girl drive. You know, <laughs> she said, do you want to drive? I'll hold the gun. She just wanted to hold that gun so badly, and that was kind of her downfall. Yeah. And, again, we're, we're treated, and I'm making air quotes because I know how you feel about voiceovers. We're, we're treated to quite a few voiceovers from Gail. But the one, the warden and the ghost inextricably bound together. In terms of who's the ghost, at one point I was thinking the vault is the ghost. Now is it that young boy 
is he the ghost? Maybe and what's the significance of it? And I guess that's the mystery we're we're left with. And and that's one of the highlights of this episode is the developing mystery surrounding uh, Salvor. So, mm-hmm. you know what what's going to happen with that? I'm not sure, but. The, the relationship she has with her parents, I, you know, I, I guess for a while we thought her mom was in charge, but it looks like Lewis is the actual director. And to say, yeah, he's, he's not, doesn't have his cool leather jacket on anymore. And well, that's true. And, and to say he's in over his head, I, I think is obvious at this point before you know, the Anacreans landed on Terminus. He, he was probably fine as a leader. But the interesting thing is the exchange she has with her father, who says, we've been following your lead since you were able to walk. <laughs> yeah. And, and you wonder what paths they took way back then. I mean, I, I, I almost got the sense that wasn't a hyperbolic statement on his end, that there were things that she did even as a child that caused the adults to make certain decisions and, and go in certain directions. Yeah. Maybe, well, you know, well, maybe I'm reading too much, but no, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it was, yeah, I, I don't think it was meant to be any kind of exaggeration at all. I think that, um, you know, Salvor is, all we know is special is different from everybody else. Uh, we don't know why, we don't know how or anything like that, but she just is. And, you know, obviously her parents would be the first ones to recognize that ages ago. Yeah. Hey, and, and this is where the, the line from the book comes in, actually, because I can't remember who starts it. Like, I think Salver might start. She's, you know, that violence is the last resort of the incompetent. And I think she starts and her dad finishes, or he starts and, and she finishes it. And they're just like, oh, that's. Some old man said that quote, you know, and it's funny because that's a quote from Salver Hardin in the book, who is not old at the time. That that's his that's his quote in the book. So I don't know if they were referring to Harry there, or if they're making kind of a tongue in cheek reference to the fact that Salver Hardin was a male in the book or whatever. But uh, that was uh, that was the quote I was waiting to to happen, and every time. Uh, Salver grabs a gun. I'm like, wait, dude, like violence is the last refuge of the incompetent. Remember? Come on, the, put the gun down. Yeah. So, uh, but we see uh, her um, handling things without resorting to violence here, uh, even though she does grab the gun in a couple instances. Well, well, right. She, and she says to her mother, Harry's not here. We need to help ourselves. And I guess I, I look at it as purely a defensive posture. Uh, against an in, invading army uh, and even though she's fairly confident that the wall's going to hold uh, you know the the episode ends where we're maybe not so sure when we see that big cannon pointed at the compound so you know it, it almost seems as if her dad has a lot more confidence in her than her mom and and maybe that's a mother daughter thing you know, you mentioned last week, I think, you know, fathers and their daughters. Well, okay. And and on the one hand, this is a different situation. On the other hand, it's not. I, I don't know. But as you said, you, you know, she certainly orders them to just observe. Take your weapons, but just observe. And 
a, a couple of things struck me as we're watching the Vista and it's just Anacreon from, you know, left side of the screen to the right side of the screen. And I started wondering whether or not they didn't actually bring that many people. Or are they trying to create, or are they creating some sort of an illusion? And then I thought, nah, that's probably not the case, but it, it certainly did occur to me at, at some point that maybe they don't have as many people as they're pretending to have. But the uh, the one thing though that I did notice did the coin flip scene remind you of anything? Um, besides uh, Two Face in the Batman movies, no. Well, no? yeah, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yes, right, right, right. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, again, I mean, we know she's making a different point with her coin flip but again it just adds to that mystery that how does she know and and it's funny because her father says yeah if you were better in math you'd know that you know that luck you know isn't really at play here that that uh, it's it's skill that allows you to do that now does she understand the skill that she has i guess they don't let her in the uh casino at at foundation yeah probably not yeah I'm sure she's been barred, but, uh, but but maybe they just don't have the coin flip game at the casino, too, though. Yeah, so. but what's the deal with Hugo's glowing blue eyes? You know, when, when he was yeah. part of that interrogation right, uh, of right. the prisoner, okay, yeah. is that a, a thespian, you know? I, I, yeah, I chalked it up to he's, yeah, he's from a different world, and, you know, maybe that's that's their thing, you know? Okay. All right. I guess that makes sense. Um, but, but it all comes back to the fact that Harry predicted the first crisis would be at the outer reaches, which is, of course, where they are. And we have to wonder, is this it? Is this the first crisis? Because yeah, I think as Fred points out in his feedback, we're not exactly sure about the parallel timelines, so that when we go back and forth between Terminus and Trantor, are we at the exact same point in time? And, and I think right. in his feedback, he's referring to that, that end scene where we right. see Gale in, in the, uh, the pod. But, but still, it, it, it gets me to thinking. I mean, they, they give us that 35-year. They've been there 35 years, I guess, since the, uh, since they, the bridge blew up. Lo- yeah, yeah. I, I just I, I kind of take that it is all kind of happening at the same time, because especially I look at it like, is there anything in here that would really justify it not being the, the same time period? You know, like is this going to be some kind of big reveal? I'm like, well, first of all, nothing's happening, so I don't think so. You know, um, so I just I feel like everything is is happening kind of concurrently. But, uh, you know, watch dark enough to know that uh, to keep your eye out for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and not to go off on a tangent, I saw one of the BBC put out a list of the, the best 100 television series of the 21st century. I'm looking down the list. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Are you freaking kidding me? Mm. Battlestar Galactica was number 70. And I, I wow. don't have the list in front of me, but I, I think any reasonable person would say, well, wait a minute. Any list that's got that at 70, and you see some of the ones in front of it yeah i mean i can only imagine 
Oh my God! And, and granted, it wasn't only genre shows; it was you know all, right. all sorts of shows. And, and uh, you know, Breaking Bad was in the top five, I think, which is entirely sure. reasonable. And, and sure. I would agree with that. But uh, uh, you know, the the scene with Farah and her insistence on holding out that they're just scrappers, and, and what is it you want? And, and it's almost like I, I know you've only seen Lucifer and the pilot. But his whole thing about what is it you really desire, and, and that's his celestial power, and, and then people tell him what they really want, and it's like, what do you really want here? And, and we keep thinking she's going to reveal it, but it's almost like Salvor beats her to the punch when she does her best imitation of Sherlock Holmes and mm-hmm. uh, you know deduces, it, it seems pretty damned accurately, what her story is. I mean, we still don't know what it is exactly she wants. Although Farrah kind of implies that you've got some technology that we need because we don't have any. And if we're going to leave the planet and start anew, we need it. Well, maybe you should have led with that, but whatever, (laughs) if that's in fact the truth. Right. Which we we don't, yeah, we we don't know at all. Like what what the truth is and why they're there. Right. Um, so yeah and 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 then hugo kind of closes out that aspect of the episode by telling her what if you are selden's plan meaning uh salvor so you know we don't know i mean harry makes a big deal about you know individuals not necessarily being significant but you know maybe they are right yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, and that was the thing. I mean, you know, Harry pointed out back in episode one how um, you know, psychohistory is meant to make you know large scale predictions like the, of civilizations and and things like that, massive groups of people, and not uh, able to predict what's going to happen to individuals. But yet, you know, we really do get a feeling that uh, that Salver Harden is like maybe in to some degree she was you know foretold or something yeah and and when we shift over to the crisis on trantor the opening scene in that aspect you know we hear that voiceover uh, you know about the inability to predict individual outcomes as we watch brother dawn swan dive off the third floor of the castle which we assume is going to be his death and I'm thinking, okay, this is the crisis that's facing the Empire. But no, he just seems to be testing Harry's theories that, you know, movements of large populations. I'm not sure if he even is. Like, I'm pretty sure he knows what's going to happen if he jumps out that window and that knows that he he won't be killed. But, but yeah, then what is, what's the deal then? Either way, if whether he, he thinks he might die or whether he knows that he won't still very questionable behavior yeah now you know the voiceover you know it kind of leaves us with that quote faith is a sword forged in the fires of the infinite and in my notes i well what the hell does that even mean yeah exactly i'm like ooh, that's a good line i'm like wait no that's complete crap yeah right doesn't mean anything (laughs) right but it but it does then take me back to the novel and again, not going into details, but the whole idea of faith as a tool 
and even a political tool is pretty important in the novel. So, yep. you know, does that have some sort of meaning here? I mean, obviously, faith in the empire is important if the empire is going to continue its, its dynasty. And, and of course, that's you know in question at this point. But, you know, I, 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 like you said, he knows he has that force field around him, but I, I don't know. And then, and then we get that next scene where Brother Day is lying in bed and he's approached by the attractive young woman that says, yeah, you know, Empire, I got 24 hours to uh, see to your, I forget exactly what she says, but we know what she means. Right. And, and he's like, try and touch me. <laughs> and then we learn that, well, if you just go really slowly, you can get through. And then she's like, yeah, well, I f- again, I forget her exact words, but you know, she's like, well, what about down there? And then I guess the idea, he's like, go ahead, give it a, you know, maybe, maybe I I can, I can open that part of the force field (laughs) up. Yeah. Well, of course, like we think, oh, okay. Sexy. All right. Well, that's kind of interesting. But you know, like we, uh, we, along with, uh, with day here, both kind of get cock blocked by, uh, uh, Demerzel there. Yeah. But you know, I, I guess why I found that seen so significant is because she recognizes his need for intimacy and at that point of the episode we're we're thinking possibly all right has brother day succumbed to all the powers and privileges of his position and he's going to be one of these rulers that just you know doesn't really care and as the episode proceeds anything could be further from the truth that that he's not like that at all. So I'm not sure why we need to see this thing about the force fields. Maybe that's going to come into play later. Perhaps we're going to get an assassination attempt. Yeah, I'm but, thinking something like that. Yeah, and, and so they want to, you know, make it clear that that you know they do he can have be these. got to right. But right. but then, because yeah, you're right. Otherwise, why waste our time with this frivolous detail? Yeah. Um, and we, we learn about the death of Proxima Opal, who is some sort of spiritual leader, some sort of religious figure. And the, the problem now lies in the person that's going to succeed Proxima Opal. And, and at first, apparently the logical person to, I believe they said it was a, a her, uh, the logical person to take her place is perfectly acceptable to the Empire. But then, you know, whoever, you know, the There's ambassador the, the upstart. says, well, you know, the people are kind of favoring this other person who speaks out against the present cloning system and contends that because they're perfect copies, they don't have souls, i.e. they're not human. And the this idea of, oh, now this is kind of a crisis. And while the first crisis was supposed to happen at the outer reaches, and maybe that is the crisis, this seems to be pretty important and significant as well. So, you know, I mean, obviously this is going to lead up to something, right? I think this, all this stuff is leading up to the big crisis on Trantor, but it's just to get there. It's just, ah, you know, just like, 
Man, it's just like watching paint dry or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, the clones are out of sync, and does this foreshadow the fall? And I think we would say, well, yeah, of course it does, and we shall see. But like you said, they they could step up the pace just, just a little bit. And then we see Dusk and Dawn viewing footage of the social unrest after the Starbridge bombing. And the fact that the Empire still grapples with the effects 35 years later. And I love that line where he says, the business of the Empire is a cascade of competing priorities. And I, th- I think in maybe simpler terms, you know, it, it's just putting out one fire after another and determining right. which, which fire we need to focus our attention on first. Yeah, and he also compares it to glass, which I, I didn't write down exactly what he said. But, you know, I mean, we have had now, I believe, four times an example of, of the one of the emperors, you know, throwing a glass and breaking it to the ground. So, you know, day, the current day, has the wisdom to understand that, um, you know, they're kind of skating on thin ice, right? And that... Their power is mostly they they keep their power because people respect and and follow their power, follow their lead, right? But the minute, as they said, as the minute people start thinking that we are less than rather than more than, then that's when we're in trouble, right? And, and dusk doesn't seem to grasp the significance of Selden dying. He, he sees it as a good thing. Hey, he was murdered by his protege. And, and Dave's like, what about the movement? You know, that, that has he been martyred? Harry Selden, that is. Yeah. Kind of in a sense. I mean, that's sort of what foundation is all about. And you know, how, how far the, the gospel of Selden goes, we don't really know at this point, but, but certainly Brother Day is concerned, and Brother Dusk just doesn't seem to grasp the enormity of that. And again, you know, I mentioned earlier in the, in the discussion, the confrontation between Day and Dusk about what Dusk did when he was Day. <laughs> now we're good. Right. I know. Um, so, so confusing. Uh, you know, nuking the... Uh, the two planets of Anacreon and Thespis and, and, yeah. and not really recognizing the, again, the enormity of what he did and, and, and the, the lack of humanity, which is sort of ironic because that discussion comes up uh, uh, about the new potential Proxima and seeing them as less than human that day you know, mentions the, 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 the innocents that were killed in, in those mm-hmm. attacks. So, you know he's he's clearly different than dusk and then yep. what's the deal with with uh dawn and the young girl in the garden the botanist well he's you know like you see a girl you fancy you just gotta figure out a way to get her attention like you know jumping out of a window or something like that you know and um yeah, he seems to be pretty enamored of her um even creepily spying on her with a bug spy. Well, yeah, and and you know the 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 Empire fixer I, I, again. It's like my job is to eliminate problems, Empire. And I'm thinking like, no, he, I don't think he wants her killed, dude. 
and, yeah, but and, you know, in a way, he's like because when he's watching her in the bug cam or whatever, he sees his empire fixer, and you know clearly he thinks, "Oh man, he's going to go kill her," but then he doesn't. But he doesn't do anything. He doesn't like you know go and yell out the window, "Hey, don't kill her, man!" Or, you know whatever. So it seems like he's just very, very weak-willed. You know, obviously way more so than uh, the 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 current day now. Right, and, and even, and even Dusk. Previous, yeah. Yeah, I mean, while Dusk made some less than ethical decisions, I think we don't question his his will. But but back to Dawn, again, you know, my problem, my job is to eliminate problems, Empire. Well, what's the problem? Uh, I want to know her name. <laughs> okay, well, okay, I got, you know, you could have tried the time and true method of just going up and asking her since you're yeah. Cleon, but you know whatever well he comes at her like oh i want to know what you thought you saw like i didn't think i saw anything i saw you jump out of your window douche right and and then we're wondering well does he want medicinal plants for the pain that he may or may not have experienced as a result of that fall i mean and if that's the case uh, you know i'm pretty sure he must have a doctor in the palace somewhere he can get yeah, painkillers for but again whatever and then he 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 gives the leaf to another servant and you know she says no it's not poisonous it's a painkiller eat it and if you're not dead in two hours have more sent to my room <laughs> and, and and i think that tells us i don't want to say everything we need to know about dawn but he's not day and he's probably not suited to become brother day if the right. empire is going to succeed. Yeah. Well, and again, that's that's a great point. If the empire is to succeed, we see the cracks, and now we know that you know. Well, we don't know it, but we strongly suspect that the you know quote unquote heir to the throne next is going to probably be a pretty bad emperor. Yeah. I, I mean, of what we've seen so far, the current brother Day does seem to ha- have his head screwed on properly and you know even though we had that scene a few episodes ago might even been last week where brother dusk goes down to the planet we're thinking to see what's going on with the people and okay fine maybe that is what he was doing but he never makes that connection it seems that this is because of what you did nuking the two planets that's why this happened in the first place so right you know that that disconnect uh, I, I, again I, I think leaves us with the you know the feeling that brother day is really the only hope the empire has uh, of succeeding and you know what he's going to do about brother dawn and and his seeming being out of sync which you know may turn out to be a good thing for all we know it's just yeah. that so far to put your servant's life in danger so cavalierly doesn't say a lot for you but you know again whatever you know you mentioned the breaking of glass and then we get the scene where day calls the mathematicians (laughs) in to be questioned dude's kind of got a point you know you've been running the numbers for 30 years you got however many people at your disposal and you still don't have anything yeah, like he brought Gail Dornick in for a weekend and she figured it out. Like, come on. 
So yeah. you can see, like, well, it's just whole frustration with how the system is, right? Sure. Like, just everything is set up just completely for failure because it's all set up. Well, as as they point out, and I believe it was episode one, you know, where they're about to cut the bird, and Day says, you know, they they're afraid of screwing it up, so they. You know, they inject like grease or whatever under the skin because they know I like it. Like, you know, and it's like, well, that's exact. That's how you run the show. And I think uh, Dawn, he's Dawn at the time, mentions like that sounds like a pretty bad way to to you know run an organization. And it is like if people are scared of screwing up, then they will do anything to like cover their asses and make it look like their job is being done. But it's really not. And so that absolutely is going to lead. And we know that the empire is doomed. I mean, Harry said it. We have no reason to, to disbelieve Harry that the empire is, is going to, to fall. And it's up to the foundation to ensure like that the, the, the time of darkness after the fall is not longer, but shorter. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, he's just he's absolutely frustrated with this whole BS system that um, you know is just leads to decay and mediocrity, right? And, and day you, again that exchange, and it was a great scene by a guy. Now I can't think of the uh, Lee. God, I can't think of the, Lee Pace, the Lee actor Pace. that plays Brother Day, when he's just like screaming at that lead statistician and. He what kills comes the out guy, of, it looks and, Well, like. yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is that it's not zero. There is a possibility that Selden is correct. And we get that the mathematicians want to tell Empire what it is they think he wants to hear. But that's not what Day wants. Day wants the truth. And right. But he's not going to get it because these no, are guys who are who have devoted their life to telling the Empire what he wants to hear and not what really is so and, and that's why he just you know like he punches a couple of these guys in his stomach i mean who really hasn't wanted to haul off and hit a mathematician in the stomach right well so i mean i, I get yeah you know, I, I get it <laughs> now now the voiceover you know hones in on that idea about whether one's acts are his own or destiny governed by an unseen hand and and it's one of the overarching themes of lucifer and, and of course lucifer's problem is that dear old dad is is uh you know kind of worming his way into lucifer's life but we kind of have to ask is this what the cleons are facing at this point is there some unseen hand or is the unseen hand simply harry selden's predictions of the movements of these mass populations and the impact it's going to have on, on the Cleons, which, uh, you know, I guess is the case. Well, I mean, the only thing about like, when you say like an unseen hand, you assume that it's doing any kind of moving. Harry isn't manipulating events. He's not doing the moving. He's just predicting the the course of civilization, right? Right. Sure. Of course. Of course. Um, and, and, And then at the end of that, that conversation between day and dusk where day is just like point after point on your watch. This happened on your watch. This happened not on my watch. And right. it's one of you, those. You always want to say, wow, when you put it like that, it sounds really bad. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's one of those phrases that has been used time and again, and, and it borders on 
trite, but not here. It just is so powerful here that Day gets it. And you feel like this is the chance for him to prove Selden wrong, that, that he can act and prove Selden wrong, even though we know, despite whatever good he might do, it's not going to matter. That, that right. Exactly. That, that's his, you know, his kind of, like the hitch in his character, right, is that, yeah, you're right, but you're also too late and which not, there's nothing you can do because the, the ball is already ro- like, that's what he doesn't understand. Right. I mean, he gets that Selden could be right and that they could be experiencing the downfall of the empire. But the only thing, the only catch then in his, in his thinking is that he thinks he could do something about it. Exactly. Um, you know, the last thing that I wanted to bring up is the scene where dusk sends a team to terminus to find out why the comms have gone dark and the first time I watched the episode, I thought, okay, well, that makes sense. But this comes on the heels of the exchange he has with Brother Day. And now I'm wondering, well, is this a secret or does Day know about this mission? Because there doesn't seem to be any reason it should be a secret. Right. And you, you would think Day would it be just as interested in knowing what the heck's going on out on the outer reaches as well. So, you know, I guess we'll see. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that's all I got. Anything else you want to mention? No. Well, I mean, do we want to talk about uh, Gail at, at the end of that the little extra scene? Yeah. I mean, in terms of the, the time period when that actually happens, it, it's it's really you know not clear at all. You know, Gail's still in stasis, so she could have been out in space for 35 years and not have aged which is I'm assuming what they're going to go for here so they can keep the same actor in place. Um, right. But, you know, the, the Gail's voiceover seems to imply that she learns of Terminus's fate, uh, you know, that, that we as the viewer await as well. So, you know, beyond that, I, I, I guess we just have to wait and see. I'm, I'm going with the fact that, as you said earlier in the discussion, that, that the timelines between Terminus and Trantor are more or less in sync with each other. And I'd agree with that. So then why would you do something differently with Gale? So I'm assuming she's probably been in stasis for 35 years. Yeah. And, yeah, however and long. Uh, where she's going to end up, I'm assuming Terminus, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, she again. Uh, you know, narrators are funny like that. That you know, they they can be playing with us a little bit. But the natural assumption would be that she knows of the events on Terminus, and she's the narrator. So in order for her to be able to narrate what's going on in Terminus, she must have been on Terminus and lived through these events. So yeah, I think we'll go with the fact that she's a relatively reliable narrator. She's no Holden Caulfield. We'll just say that. There you go. All right. Um, all right. Want to hear what Fred's got for us this week? Sure. All right. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Foundation Season 1, Episode 4. Today I don't feel very well. A little sick, a little temperature. Just got a COVID test. Have to wait for the results. I'm fully vaccinated, but still. So, 
This feedback will probably be a little shorter. This is my 184th audio feedback in a row, and of course I couldn't let that slip. I think I have to be half dead not giving you any feedback for your podcast. Okay, let's go into episode 4. In this episode we see what we discussed the last two episodes, Nature, Nurture and the Cleons, that we said, okay, they are raised by themselves more or less and themselves, and because of that, that not only the nature part is more or less the same, but also the nurture part. But here we see, really see the differences between all three of them. Brother Day is actually accusing Dusk that he squandered uh, the Empire. And Brother Dawn is quite emotionally unstable and even wants to kill himself. Which seems to be impossible because of his protecting shield. After Brother Day accused Dusk and sent him away and Day goes on his mission, Demacel says, now we won't have any impulsivity anymore. Well, I don't know if this brother Day is not impulsive. So was that meant really or ironically by Demazel? Talking about the differences between the Cleons, I think the actor that plays now or before also Brother Dusk does a very nice job in playing Dusk differently, namely the old day. In the last podcast, you discussed that the Dusk was more empathically and also visited that church and that priest, etc. I would not see this Dusk do that. Okay, I won't go into the whole thing that's happening on Terminus. Just a final remark. What is Gail's position? I mean, the last scene we see her in her pod, was she... Time frozen? Or is that a flashback again? So it is obviously a stasis pod, but also a transportation pod. But how long has she been in there? Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Well, Fred, sorry to hear you're not feeling well. It's funny because I went out and bought a COVID test because, you know, as, as you know, I mean, I, I take precautions and I'm not a, I don't go out a lot anyway. I mean, grocery store and stuff like that but just still not feeling great but you know took the test nothing so uh you know, sorry to hear you're feeling well um yeah as fred points out and we we kind of talked a little bit about it it's difficult to argue that the cleons don't learn and change from experiences at least brother day certainly uh, sure i think is evidence of that yeah, and that's I, I am willing to you know swallow my piece of humble pie because I had said in episode one that uh, I was you know didn't think that they were going to be any different, but clearly they are. Well, I think that was a reasonable expectation since we were expecting the fall of the empire, right? And that seems to be a reasonable expectation that would go along with that. But I yeah, guess but also if you're talking. cloning a dude, you know, so it's you know, physiologically the exact same person, and then you're raising him in the same environment. So nature and nurture both exactly the same, as Fred says. And yet, despite all that, right? Yeah. 
All right. Anyway, Fred, thank you for the feedback. Hope you are feeling better next week. And as he said, I forgot the number. I think he said 187 straight feedback, something like that. Something that. Like yeah, that. Um, nice, nice streak he's got going. Right. And, and he's already looked up Lou Gehrig. I think we mentioned Lou Gehrig a few years ago, and he he looked up the the meaning behind that comment on our end. But uh, <laughs> well, we should anyway. say Cal Ripken. Yeah. Oh, Cal Ripken. That's right. Um, Come on, Dave. Oh God! Jeez, dude. <laughs> I'm gonna have my Maryland license revoked. <laughs> you now, are. So, uh, You're lo- the Maryland State Police are in your house right now. I think. Um, anyway, I- I'm going to go solid B again this week. I-, I the the lack of movement is just yeah impossible yeah. I- to overlook. I can't. Yeah, I can't give it above a B for sure. Right. I, and, I mean, know. there's a lot of good here. Don't don't sure. get us wrong, but just. We'll stay yeah. to be we ready, talked so. to it. We talked about it for almost fifty minutes, so there had to be something in there, right? Yeah, yeah, no question. So. All right, well, we will leave it there, and that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Foundation, any of the other shows we've covered, anything you guys are watching in your Sci-Fi world. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about episode five of the Apple TV Plus series Foundation. But until then. You know, I, I don't know if you knew this about me, Dave, but I'm actually a pretty big fan of The Doors, the, the rock group from the you know, late 60s, early 70s. And, uh, you know, I actually got a hold of um, a book that is of a lot of early drafts of lyrics that Jim Morrison had written. And uh, there's one for Touch Me that's really kind of unique it was his first draft of the uh, of, of the song actually went try and touch me i said try and it just didn't work out i think i think it's better with as as, as they recorded it and we'll leave it at that 